0: All right, we have Peterson, we have Reuben, we have Shapiro, we have Brand, we have Peterson and Brand in one video. We've got Reuben, Shapiro, and Peterson in another video. This stuff's driving me nuts. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to him, layman's terms. Burn away all that cannot be reborn. But
1: bloody hell, mate! In the actual language, all he bangs on about is kindness, kindness, love, love, kindness, kindness, love, love. Not in Revelation. Hmm. Not in Revelation. He's a judge of Revelation. What and are you still you're still taking that as what books beyond the gospels, you're still taking as the word of Christ.
2: Save the world for every man. and I think it's better than the way it's being run. Oh, the
1: laid. No, don't be afraid. I'm sure that I can fix it
3: when I out Alright,
0: alright, alright, alright. Okay. So you guys heard me talk about Jordan Peterson, you've heard me talk about Ben Shapiro and, and a bit I'm, most of the time I'm a big fan of, of Ben Shapiro's, you know, I just have to say big fan, right, and now I'm gonna critique him. <laughs> uh, I critiqued him. These guys are so sloppy on religion. It, it just it boggles the mind. Uh, <laughs> because while they while they decry this kind of stuff in um in the material world, I guess I should say. Um, that you know, like, Peterson hates the postmodernists. Um, that because you know, he rightly categorizes it. I mean, this is one reason why I like Jordan Peterson. If you've and if you've listened to some of my um, analysis of, of some of his videos before, um, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, you know, back before Christmas. That, um, the reason I like Peterson is because I, I agree with him on postmodernism. That postmodernists, postmodernists say, to modernists, um, whose truth—your truth, my truth—whose truth gets to rule? And that's 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 a legitimate critique. And they go even further to say that there's an infinite number of ways you can interpret any given situation. This is also true. But Peterson points out rightly. I agree with this. Wasn't his idea? The, again, I think you know some of this. He's he's taken from some objectivists. Uh, but there's only there's a finite number of interpretations that will uh re- yield positive results and and how do we judge what's positive see okay so this all gets gets very messy uh but the but the problem with it is is they take this into the into the metaphysical and and anything that has to do with uh, the reality of god and having god's voice um gets discounted and so, and that's what's that's my frustration with the guys, these guys. It's it's like they want to talk about God, but they don't want to say there actually is a God, right? They want to say, oh, the the mythical stories from from holy scripture are so valuable to us. They teach us so much. There was, was such a brilliant concept, and they, they these people were geniuses to come up with this sort of thing, uh, but attribute any of this to God, attribute any of this to God's voice, negative, and that's my big problem with Shapiro, especially since he says he's. He's a devout Jew. So my first question if I met Ben Shapiro today, my first question would be, do you believe in God? Do you believe God is real? My second question would be, do you have do do you think we have God's voice in revelation? And that by virtue of the fact that that God is real, we have his voice in revelation that we are duty-bound to follow his voice. See, that would be my question to him because he's squishy wishy on this stuff. And it drives me crazy. He, that's what drove me crazy with him and his debate with Sam Harris. All right. Again, love Ben Shapiro on politics. Religion, not so much. Politics, straight up and down the line. Religion, don't know if he actually believes in God. I don't. Because he basically makes the same arguments that Sam Harris says. That we can, yes, there's a spiritual there's a spirituality and that religion may play some role in it. But at the end of the day, really what is foundational to everything is reason. It's objective. If it's objectivism repackaged, and all objectivism is subjectivism, because you can say again, Sam Harris can give me all of his reasoned arguments. Um, you know, these guys like uh, Michael Shermer can say, "Look here, you know, here are all the reasoned arguments. Here's all the Ayn Rand fans who say that reason is going to lead the way. If we if we would just let people live by their reason, they have the, the capacity to live good, healthy, productive lives." My next question is okay, whose reason is going to rule? I just listened to this guy today. So ridiculous. This guy's name's uh, Raka. And and he reacts to stuff, and I get it. And he's trying to sort stuff out, and and I sympathize with that. And and he gets really passionate. But I was listening to him critique Shapiro on something. um, And he was talking about how, I mean, he was just so emotional about this. And yet he's supposed to be this, you know, this rational objectivist, right? Um, And so. The thing of it is what, what a lot of these uh, objectivists end up sounding like are um, are anarchists. In other words, we don't need any government we don't need any rules. Man can rule himself, he can reason his way through it. if we would just trust man with the responsibility they could we could make it. So anyway we're gonna get into all that today but before we do, got to remind you about the Kenya Well Project some exciting things happening there. Uh, many of you have given. Uh, but you, many of you are giving very slowly. Christmas time is over. You, you should have the credit cards kind of start to get paid off. If not, go ahead and take care of that. Uh, but but $50. We just need $50 from, from everybody who listens to the podcast, who's benefited from the podcast over the several years we've been doing it. We're going to send it to Kenya. We're going to build a well, state-of-the-art well, a well that will help this, this community really uh, break into in- industrialization. I'm really excited. I, I've got some videos of the guys from Kenyan Christian Arts um, carving the, in layman's terms, logo and the, uh, they carved a mug for me. They're sending me. It's it's amazing, and I can't wait to show it to you guys. And I'll, I'll, I'll put some videos up on my website about it. But please give to that. I, if you're if you're waiting, if you know you're going to give and you're just waiting, hey, we're going to give. Just hang out. That's fine. Um, but but we can't you know we can't let this hang out forever. Um, you know I've got I've got the money in a, in a good interest account. Or draw some interest on it, but but the people that have given earlier are going to want to see their money go to something. And so let's you know let's all try to get in, jump in on this, get this done, make it happen. Um, you know, what's eh, what's some more expediency here? I mean, if if it, I mean, I, I don't not complaining, but the rate at which we're going now to to raise the money for this well will take five years. We don't want it to take that long, so just go ahead, rip it off quick like a band aid. Give your fifty bucks. To the Ken well project. Okay, also, don't forget to check us out on KNNA, the cross, um, and Pirate Christian Radio. We are still pirates here. All right, so we're still on Pirate Christian Radio. Been with them for four years now cause it seems like forever. Um, I'm surprised Roseburg hasn't gotten sick of me yet and, you know, whatever. He probably is sick of me. He's just, whatever. He just ignores me. <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. I'm so grateful to Pirate Christian for all their support. I mean, they really just kind of got our foot in the door in this. Kind of this whole new you of things and we're we're just so happy we still get you know messages from you guys about um, things being helpful to you and questions and that sort of thing and so that that's that's gratifying obviously uh, again primarily the reason I do the podcast yeah I mean I I get some dopamine out of it I do when when I see people that have downloaded and actually listened to it and then when you take the time to send me some feedback and say hey really like the the thing and that's that sort of thing it's great. Uh, but this just really helps me think through things. And if you've noticed, I really don't, uh, you know, I, I get stuck on something. Like last year, I was kind of stuck on this third use of the law thing. And, and I think I want to get back to some of that at some point. I'm kind of just taking a step back from from that whole debate a bit. Uh, but this whole um, new media thing is really fascinating to me because every single interview, they end up talking about Christianity and God. But to kind of frame this, let, let's go back to this whole idea of objectivism real quick and, and talk about that and, and Talk about authority. That's an important issue here. It's kind of like you cannot survive on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you cannot survive on pure reason alone. That is the A number one critique of postmoderns, and they are right about this. This is the part you have to concede to postmoderns because you say, okay, we're going to go by objective, quote unquote, reason. Okay, fine. Then each individual gets to objectively decide how she or he is going to behave in accord with their reason. That's anarchy. So if you're if you if you're ready to turn the human race loose on anarchy with no government, no authority whatsoever, then objectivism is for you. The reality is somebody is going to have authority. Somebody is going to take authority. And generally speaking, if there is not an authority above the authority, namely God, and that's this was the brilliance of the founding fathers. Even though most of them were deists, they realized that the, the authority there had to be an authority above the authority. At least in theory. Now, we know, um, as Christians, that God exists. That the ultimate authority is God. And that the government is subject to that. But if you don't have that, and all you have is, is quote-unquote, objective reason, if you have pure reason, then somebody's reason, somebody's subjective reason, is going to rule the day. Whose reason gets to rule when our reasons come into conflict, see? This is the critique of the postmoderns and it's right. It's right, but their their solution is improper. See, that my biggest problem is not with the postmoderns is not that they identify the wrong problems. They identify the right problems with modernism. Uh, but 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 their solutions to those problems are terribly flawed. We can be grateful to God that he actually is real and that he that he has given us his voice of authority. Because otherwise, somebody is going to take that place, whether it be the objectivists or the postmodernists or whoever else. Somebody's going to try to take that voice of authority, and it, what, it, what happens is it turns into authoritarianism. Who is going to take away this penchant for man to, uh, to power grab, to take power? This is something I think Nietzsche, in, in one sense, was right about. Because so when you take God out of the equation, when God is dead, everything's the will to power. So whoever has the most power, whoever has the the greatest intellect, is it Jordan Peterson? Is it Russell Brand? Is it Ben Shapiro? Is it Dave Rubin? Joe Rogan? Who's got the most superior intellect? Or or what think tank can we put together that could craft the utopian society for us? And see, these guys are against utopianism, so it's very confusing issues. Um, what I'm trying to say is that objectivism, at the end of the at the end of the day, is sub is subjective. Because you cannot, a, uh, an objectivist might say we should have values, and my question to them would be, okay, what values should we have? And they would enumerate these values, and I would say, oh, okay. They might say we should um we let's just take one that we've been picking on a little bit here lately. We should we should uh, uh, uh embrace and affirm homosexual marriage and I would go, wait a minute uh, I've got a value over here that says no we should not embrace this for these reasons and you've got your reasons and I've got my reasons. So who gets to decide whoever can make the, whoever can be the best sophist if you're not familiar with that term a, a sophistry is, is is an old form of, of philosophy where you tried to argue the other side even though you didn't really believe what you're arguing was the truth. you tried to take something false and argue so convincingly that you can make something false sound true. Is that who's going to rule the day? The best sophist? Because Jordan Peterson is a silver-tongued devil. So is Ben Shapiro. All these guys are. Is that what's going to ultimately rule us? Whoever can articulate their position the best? That doesn't sound like a very sound way to to, to approach things. Um, so so the bottom line is, it's this authority thing. And this is something they that I never see them get down to. Because objectivism becomes subjectivism. And that's exactly what the postmoderns point out. No, they're saying, look, you guys aren't being objective. <laughs> You're taking, this is, this is what, you know, when you hear somebody with a, with a, that's what I would call a hard postmodern, say to a, a white uh, Christian male, well, I don't accept your white Christian male privilege. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying, I don't accept your reason. That's your reason, I've got my reason, and that's how things are. Why should your reason rule over my reason? And their objection is completely valid. Nobody, how can you claim authority over someone? Because of reason? Who says reason gets to rule? Now, when we turn to God in Holy Scripture, we see that reason does rule. We start with Scripture, we use reason to understand Scripture, and then... We let our emotions respond to that. All right. We don't let our emotions rule. We don't let our reason rule. Emotions are what the postmoderns lead with. Um, reason are what the objective objectivists or the modernists lead with. Um, and both it, it, uh, emotion and reason are both subjective. If that's your foundational level, let's get into this a bit. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. We're going to take snippets here, snippets there from both interviews and and try to make sense of this as best we can. Here we go.
3: I want to circle back to something related to religion uh, that we that I wanted to get to earlier, but we're we're doing a lot here. Um, Do you think there's any difference or do you both think there's any difference Ben's belief in or Ben's Jewish and your belief is Christian mm-hmm. it comes from the Chris, Christian tradition. Yeah. Does that matter at all? The, the, whatever differences there are in that little place where you're both saying, you know, we see the reasons why our morals and ethics and all that come from this. We're also acknowledging, uh, you know, the the real world and, and biology and all of those things. Whatever differences you may have, which I don't even know that we that any of the three of us know what those differences yeah. mm-hmm. are. Do they even matter?
0: They might. Okay, so what Ruben's asking here is, can we all coexist? Can't we all just get along with our religions? And the answer to that is, at a very basic level, yes. It is good that, for the most part, save a couple of fanatic, fanatical religious, uh, you know, major... There's one major world religion that's fanatical, that's Islam. That tends towards fanaticism. There are also minor cults that do these things. Aside from that, God be praised that, the, the for the most part, the major world religions have learned to get along without killing each other. When it comes to us living on, this, on the same planet together, I, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Ben Shapiro doesn't. I'm not going to shoot him in the face over that. So our differences in belief don't matter on that scale. On a grander scale, they do, and we'll talk about that.
2: I, that would be a lovely. I'd, thing I'd love to, have to a figure out if there, if there are, if there yeah. are. Yeah, I mean, it depends. For for me, it depends on the brand of religion that, that a person is is espousing. So, yeah. so let's I mean, just
3: let's just do this with, with sure. you two. I mean,
2: I mean, so. My, my feeling, I'm, I'm writing a book on this right now, actually. Uh, so it, I, I, there are certain principles that obviously undergo Christianity that are from the Judaic tradition. I yeah. mean, that clearly. The first you know, it's five, like a
4: manifestation of the prophetic tradition. Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, it's, it's its essentially an attempt to merge Jerusalem with Athens, as I think the, the book of John is the most obvious example, using the logos as, as sort of the unifying feature. Mm-hmm. And, and writing the whole thing in Greek, right? I mean, that was not the the... the, the Lingua franca of the of the time. That was not what people were
0: speaking. Okay, so yeah, it was actually. It was, so now, look, see, this is this is the part where now Shapiro, I think, as much as he can, has studied Christianity because he understands there's different factions and sects of Christianity, just like we understand there's different factions and sects of Judaism, which I don't completely understand and wouldn't pretend to try to explain to him. So. Um, for him to not understand that there were actually a couple of kinds of Greek being spoken uh, around the time of, uh, of our Lord. That would be common Greek, Koine, we call it Koine Greek, um, and classical Greek, and Latin. So the sophisticants spoke Latin, and maybe classical Greek. Classical Greek was really dying out at that time, near as I can remember. Koine Greek was, was um, the trade language, so, it was very conceivable, this is what Bachman argues, if you've read Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, if I, if I recall, I'm pulling this off the top of my head, but I think this is correct, that with Greek as the trade language, a guy like St. Peter would have at least spoken Greek, if not been able to write it. it depends if he was on if he was the head of his fishing crew. Now, it was a lowly profession to be a fishmonger, but these people weren't uneducated. The Jewish Jewish tradition has a rich history of educating its people to read and write. So, Bachman makes a very strong argument that all the evidence points to the fact that these people knew Koine Greek, could speak it, and probably could write it. They could at least understand the vast majority of it. Writing the New Testament in Greek was not not a nod to Athens. Putting the Logos in John chapter 1 was not a nod to Greek philosophy. It was more like uh, St. Paul. When he uh, spoke to the people about this unknown God, if you remember this. They worshipped they worshiped all these gods. And they put up one, if you remember this from Acts 17. They put up one just in case there was one they forgot. And when St. Paul went to preach to them, he said... This one God that you've been looking for, the one that, that, that is the true God, let me tell you about him. He's the man who rose from the dead who claimed to be God. See, so St. Paul used things in culture to communicate Christianity to people. And that's exactly what St. John was doing. St. John knew. He, w- he was trying to communicate to the Greeks, I believe. By using the Logos and saying, you guys have this idea of the Logos and philosophy... Uh, that comes from Heraclitus, uh, but let me tell you who the true logos is. This is the guy that spoke the world into the existence, and this guy actually came and dwelt among us. This was this was John's big thing that we felt him, we handled him, we touched him. Um, you know, after his resurrection, we you know people put put their hands in his in his wounds. You know that he was real. That the Logos was not just this kind of this abstract idea that we were all trying to get our minds around, but he was he was a real person who spoke truth and in fact was God. That's what John was trying to get at. And when he wrote Logos, in in the beginning was the word. That definitely <laughs> certainly would have gotten some Jewish ears perked up too. Wait a second, in the beginning, God. So God is so John is equating this logos to, to God incarnate so so now we've got some really some really amazing stuff going on here. It wasn't just trying to marry Athens with Jerusalem. It just frustrates me frustrates me to death that they can never actually get to yes there is a God. Yes we have his words. God be praised that we do because otherwise we're in for authoritarianism. See? That's the point they never get to. You'll see what I'm talking about. The major distinctions in terms of of
2: Christianity versus Judaism are are the idea that, and again, it depends on your interpretation of Christianity. Early Christianity sort of suggested that history had ended with Christ. Uh, And then in later kind of iterations of Christianity that was moved beyond, right? It wasn't that history had ended. It was that Christ would come back when history had reached its logical progression. The progression of history didn't end. But original messianism was, this is the Messiah. We're done, right? History is Mm -hmm. over. It was a millennialist religion. Right. That's what depends on
3: very few people think that now. That's right. right. So
2: this this is why I'm trying to distinguish, you know, brands of Christianity, because obviously there are serious differences, even in basic root level, between Catholicism and Calvinism and Lutheranism, and all, all these things have different iterations. So, you know, my very strong belief in free will and my actual building of a moral system and Judaism is building a moral system on the notion of free will obviously runs directly counter to, for example, Calvinism.
0: Again, he, he he's building his worldview on free will. Um, Christianity does not build that, d- does not build its foundation on free will. It builds its foundation on the gospel. I don't care what iteration. You want to talk about Rome, you want to talk about Calvinism, Lutheranism, which is what I am. I'm a Lutheran, as you know. Um, you know, Anabaptist, which is the vast majority of North American Christianity, the free will tradition, this sort of thing. Even the free will tradition does not base everything on free will. It bases it on the gospel. Even the Catholics, the the Romanists who, who believe that Christ in this I'm putting in this crassly, I know, but Christ basically gets us in the door and then it's our job to work our way to heaven. Even the Catholics are founding everything on the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with our Creator. Shapiro has openly admitted that his religion bases everything on free will and the law. And that's a problem. And I'll talk about that more as we go along.
2: Calvinism suggests that free will is is chimerical and there's no basis for it and uh, that God grants you grace based on what he wants to do. So it depends on on the brand of Christianity.
0: But... And there again, with free will, it's, this is what frustrates me. When I hear um, Harris talk about this, I was talking with my friend Nathan Rennie about this. I still can't get my mind around it. I, I don't know what I think. I know more what Harris means by free will than I do Shapiro. When he says free will, what what does he mean? In what context? I mean, we we as Christians believe that we have free will within a context, within a certain set of boundaries. We believe that God is sovereign. That we have moral agency within that sovereignty. That's a, that is, that's essentially what all Christians believe. Even the Calvinists believe this. That God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things, but yet we, ha- we have agency. We are still responsible for our own actions. Every Christian, there is not a Christian you will run into that will tell you that they're not responsible for their own actions. No Calvinist that I've ever met or ever heard of would say, Well, God is so sovereign, you're not responsible for any of the actions you take. They would not say that. Alright. So there, there is agency. There's moral agency within this sovereignty of God. That's, that's what we would say. Uh, so it's, it's free will within boundaries. Now what I want to know from Shapiro is. Where does this free will end and begin? Where is God in control? If there is a God. See I still don't know from Shapiro if he really believes there is a God. I, I am 99% sure he would say yes. I believe there is a God. Um, and I'm. 95 98% sure he would say we have his voice. Okay, so so where where does our where does our free will end and his sovereignty begin? And how does that all work? And then how does that all work with and I've heard Shapiro talking about this many times? That um that, that man is, is corrupt, that he's not perfect, that he he tends towards evil. And I would Guess again. I'm again speculating. Haven't heard Shapiro talk about this. That God is is perfect and His law demands perfection. And so, how do we reconcile those two things? And this is kind of the fundamental idea that we're getting at here. You see, kind of what I'm circling around. We'll get to it. Yeah, like for example, the the,
2: the main distinction between Christianity and Judaism that people usually make is that Christianity is a grace based religion and Judaism is an acts based religion. Meaning that Judaism says you sort of earn your way into heaven, right? You earn your way toward a better life, uh, and and Christianity says if you believe, right, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, if you believe, then you're good. But mm-hmm. the truth is that Christianity sort of backdoors the, the Judaic view by saying if you really do believe, then you're going to act in these particular right. ways that That's demonstrate right. your belief. Yeah, well, right? there's this
4: weird paradoxical relationship between the idea of belief in Christianity, the belief that, that Christ came to save everyone from their sins, and that all you have to do is admit that and you're redeemed. Like there's symbolic truth to that that would take a long time to unpack.
0: All right, let's see if we can bring the gospel to bear on this at long last. The the big question that lingers here is with Ruben's question is, you know, does any of this make a difference? And I think it does on that basic level. I started off the podcast talking about that. But Peterson says it might. And here's where I think it might. Two places. Shapiro says, you know, Judaism is a works-based religion, Christianity is a grace-based religion. Okay, I think that's more or less a fair assessment and if this is what he means by that that G- Judaism if, if he if he thinks that man by his own volition and will is going to bring about his own salvation um, versus what Christianity believes that 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 God had to intervene in history in order to redeem mankind um. That's a huge difference. And I think that has very practical implications. And to, and to answer Dave's original question, I think at, at, a, at a deeper level than, than really what I started out with, um, I would say that n- big difference between Judaism and Christianity is Christians don't believe that men can save themselves. And that's proven throughout Holy Scripture. And I think history itself has proven that when ma- men have attempted... To quote unquote, save themselves and bring about heaven on earth, or bring about utopia, it's ended in complete disaster. That's what Marxism was supposed to do. It Was supposed to introduce this utopianism uh, that we could all live equally, share everything, um, you know, each give according to his ability, each take according to his need, and it would be great. And every attempt at that, at every attempt at that, ironically, has ended incomplete, murderous, bloody disaster. It's ironic. It's paradoxical. As, as Peterson mentioned, and we're going to talk about that paradox a little bit here in a minute. It's paradoxical that, you know, a lot of people say that Marxism in theory is great. But in practice, it, it's murderous. And I and I think that's because of the, of the fallen nature of human beings. Now, Peterson and Shapiro are very well known for... for for decrying the idea of bringing about you bringing about a uh, a utopia and so I'd, I would say that'd be another big difference between you know at least what Shapiro is presenting a- as Judaism, which is there 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 is there's no hope for utopia there never will be a utopia. See I'm not even sure Shapiro believes in an afterlife that is one big question I would have for him a real very serious question I do believe he believes in God. I, I think he would say that we have God's voice in Holy Scripture. That that God did speak by the prophets. These sorts of things, you know, that that I've kind of brought up. But uh, I'm not sure uh, he would say that there's an afterlife. I think he there there. I I don't know. I mean, he might be you know more leading toward the Sadducees, <laughs> who didn't uh, who didn't believe in the resurrection. See, they were that's that's why they were called Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they're sa- they were sad, you see, <laughs> right? If you remember that old joke. But at any rate, um, see, I, I think that the idea of an afterlife, at least philosophically, symbolically, maybe even as Peterson would say, is very important. Because that's going to keep us from trying to achieve heaven on earth by our own means. In other words, trying to bring about utopia on our own. That, that that's not going to be something we're going to be able to achieve here and now but that God intervened that that symbolically this maybe how Peter someone put it symbolically God intervened in human history and um, and and inaugurated this this kingdom of heaven which we can participate in it'll never be perfect here but in the hereafter then God who created everything will will we'll work out utopia the way it's supposed to be worked out, which we have no no clue how to do in and of ourselves. We need outside help for this. And, th- and that would be my biggest plea to, to Peterson in all this is um, uh, history has shown us when we have tried to make things better, we actually end up making things worse, and we need some outside help. We need somebody's advice who is outside of the human sphere to guide us, aim us, help us to get there, and, and, and we need God's voice for that. Not, not only for the authority of peace, which we point out. You know, I'm pointing this out all throughout the podcast here. Uh, but, but we need God's voice to, to guide us to, to this place. Otherwise, what you end up with, and, and that would be the thing I would say to, to Shapiro and to Reuben and these guys, if I was in the room, I would say, well, the two big differences are, one, uh, Christians don't believe they can save themselves. They need intervention from God. They need outside help um, in, in order for, for that to happen. And, uh, and and Christians, uh, while we would reject that man could bring about a utopia, um, believe that in in the afterlife that it will be a utopia, and that it just it seems like Shapiro would say, well, and maybe even Peterson would say, well, we're never going to achieve utopia, um, but uh, you know, maybe we can make this ugly life not so ugly before we die, and if we all kind of work together on that, it's still not going to be great. It's not going to be perfect, but at least we can make it better if we all kind of follow some of these rules. And I would say, well, that's a big difference between <laughs> the way the Christian worldview would would take a look at things and the way uh, the view of Judaism would, would look at things, at least from Shapiro's perspective. Because, again, I know he doesn't believe we can bring about a utopia here on Earth. Um, he... Would say, well, we can do a little bit. I mean, this is kind of how the atheists approach things. You know, Shermer, if you if you've read his his latest book, Heaven's on Earth, you know, it's not, we're not like we're going to try to. We're not going to be able to achieve a utopia, but at least in this the short time we have, as these uh, finite beings, we can make the world a little bit of a better place. Maybe leave it in a better shape than than it was before, and not make it such a, uh, you know, a life is, you know, cruel, brutish, and short type of scenario. And I would say. Well, yes, I, and, that, and that's why the, the two kind of, this is the big crux. You know, I think at the end of the day for Shapiro, what he's looking at is he's saying, hey, I don't care what you believe about who Jesus is as long as you behave this way, we're good. And, and I would say, okay, but, but the problem is that sort of thinking takes a lot more fortitude than I have. To say that, well, we're all kind of just working to make things a little better until you know make things not not so brutish, not so cruel until we die, and that's pretty much it. Um, that that's pretty hopeless, and, and I, I'm not sure I can survive on that. I'm I, I, that's just this is just me speaking, and and I and my considered guess is I don't think a lot of people can survive on that. To just say, okay, we're not going to, you know, nasty, brutish, and short is life. And what we're going to do is just try to not make it so nasty, brutish, and short as best we can. And then that's about it. It's about all we can do. There's no, really, no more hope after that. Um, I think we need something more than that. And then Peterson mentions this paradox about being redeemed. And I think what he's referring to there, and at least I hope he is, is that, there's there's something that I can't quite explain about being relieved of the burden of not having to save yourself. To say that God has already saved you, and now He's asking, now He's inviting you, because He has saved you by His death and resurrection. Um, you know, by His person and work, He's inviting you to participate uh, in in His kingdom. There's something that is invigorating about that. To say that I don't have to pull this off myself, I don't have to get a group of people together like a Shapiro or a Ruben or anybody else and say, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, our theme song. We're gonna come up with an evil plan to save the world, you know, and execute it, and everything's gonna be great." And it's gonna not well, may not be great, but it may not may not be so nasty, nasty, brutish, and short. Um, we don't have to do that. Christ has saved us. He has worked salvation. And because he has done that, again, the whole idea of judge versus brother, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later in in more depth as as we get into some of these other parts of the interview, um, there's something about that that's freeing, that enables us to behave in the way that Shapiro wants us to behave. Okay, So yes, at the end of the day, we're all going to behave the same way. I just think the Christian, the differences are, and and, and um, would it make a difference? Is Was, was Reuben's original, original question, yes, absolutely. Because I think the Christian worldview is more sustainable and gives people hope. Um, and it's real. I think it's true. <laughs> I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. See? And I think that makes all the difference. The other way it may work for somebody who has... You know, kind of the, the 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 moral capacity to live the way Ben Shapiro lives, but there's not many people like Ben Shapiro. There's just not folks. Most of us struggle with living like these guys are talking about, and and we need something more. We need some outside help, and so that would be the differences. I would say uh, it, it lacks the gospel. That's really what it lacks at the end of the day: the forgiveness of sins, to know that we're reconciled with our Creator, that we're not at war with Him. You know, all, you know all, things like. Feelings of guilt, um, all of these sorts of things. You know, the idea of an afterlife—you know—already being done by somebody who knows how to create a utopia, and us stopping, you know, us finally giving up that whole stupid project of trying to save ourselves. Something really profound in there—that um, is, you know, um, been really important for me and for millions of Christians around the world. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Um, it, and it does, and I think it does make a difference because I think once we stop trying to save ourselves, then we can start participating in the salvation that Jesus Christ has offered us uh, through His appearance, and, and that's the difference. Okay, we're going to go on to some other stuff here. Let's uh, see what else we can get in.
4: What, what the more atheistic scientist types like Sam Harris would deny essentially that there's any validity. To religious dogma although he certainly believes that there's a spiritual element to life so I think that what happened at least in part and this is why the work of Jung to return to Jung is so important is that we we weren't we didn't understand that truth comes in different forms depending on its application it's a tricky thing there's the truths that apply when you're attempting to describe the transformations of the material world. And there's the truths that apply when you're trying to determine how it is that you should act while you're alive. And those obviously those have to come into alignment, but they're not in alignment right now. And my sense, and this is a sense that's been uh, developed, at least in part from reading the great psychoanalysts, is that fictional accounts, metafictional accounts, even like biblical accounts, which are mythological, are stories about how it is that people should act, not stories about what the material structure of the world is. Like, this is also where the fundamentalists have it wrong, as far as I'm concerned, because the fundamentalists like to think that the, the account in Genesis is a scientific theory that yes, can yes, be stacked yes. up against other scientific theories. In
1: short, they are materializing the mythic.
4: Yes, that's right. And which is be, unhelpful. It's, well, it's not a help... Well, first of all, it, it's not, it doesn't even make any sense, because mm. the materialist types... In any real sense, weren't around until about five hundred years ago, right? And this was all post established by Descartes and Descartes and and uh, um, Bacon and well, Galileo was another player. But
0: okay, I'm not sure where Peterson's getting his, getting his evidence for for this. He's going to have to show me some some historical proof that the ancients um, like Moses were uh, completely mystics and, and not materialists. In fact. Uh, from my understanding of ancient history and I've never seen anything where um, you've got a culture that's completely mystical which says oh yeah yeah there's you know there's this spiritual or this mystical aspect of, of reality and then on the other hand there's this material reality they they didn't make that distinction and I don't think it, uh, it was because it wasn't available to them intellectually they could have they could have made that distinction they, they just assume, assumed that the two interacted now as a Christian, I, I must admit I have to confess that we, when we, you know, we said many times here that we believe Holy Scripture has the authority, and so when Holy Scripture says that the earth was created in six days and that the the days had a night and a day, and the first day and you know, or had a an evening and a morning, and, a, and that was the day, we believe those to be twenty four hour periods, and then we and then we take our reason and we reason toward that. All right, and so um, even if uh, even if Moses didn't know about science, uh, the, uh, the God who created everything would have known how these things worked, and He would have explained them in a way that would have would have made sense to the people given their limited scientific knowledge. Okay, and so why is this important? Well, the reason it's important is because if you don't, really, we've got to get to Adam in the, in the uh, creation account. We've got to get to the first man, and not by means of evolution, because if if you, it's very messy to get to Adam by means of evolution. Believe me, I've tried this. And if you can't get to Adam, you can't get to the first Adam, you can't get to the second Adam. And if the first Adam is just a metaphor or a symbol, uh, then the second Adam is a metaphor or a symbol. And that's, and that's where that leads you. One area I could point out to Peterson in, in all of this is this whole notion of, uh, of the creation story being kind of this signaling of, you know, uh, or this encouraging to us, this some symbolic idea of turning chaos into order. That's. I don't think that's what's going on there at all. And this is, again, what I would disagree with him in his book is that the the, the whole idea of, of, of being human is taking chaos and turning it into order. I don't think human beings do that at all. In fact, I think the, the evidence presents us with the fact that we take order and turn it into chaos. And, and what the gospel does is by God's free gift of the gospel, by the forgiveness of sins, the fact that we've turned his ordered world into a chaotic situation. He has forgiven that sin and invited us back to participate in the order he's established. I think that's what's going on there, see. Um, and, and there's no evidence whatsoever in the text that this is that this is signaling to us, that Moses is writing to us, that this is how we're to behave, that we're supposed to, you know, we've got, of course, we've, we're made in God God's image. Being made in God's image is not, this is not... What Holy Scripture teaches, to uh, being made in God, God's image means. What being made in God's image means is that you know God and know his will and do it. You act in accord with how he's created the world. That's what being made in God God's image means. It doesn't mean this idea that Peterson puts forth that we take chaos and turn it into order. Okay, and so that's why it's important. And basically, it gets back to the, the, the thing I was talking about when I was talking about the gospel. It gets back to this idea that if there's not a first Adam, there's not a second Adam. And therefore, we are duty-bound to save ourselves. We are the ones who are going to bring about our own salvation and our own good life, even if it's not that great of a life, even if it's not going to be a utopia. Uh, we're the ones who have to take responsibility because, as Peterson says, we just don't have anything else better to do. So we might as well make the best of a bad situation and live life that way. I don't buy that. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think we're going to, most of the time, we're not going to make the best of, uh, best of a bad situation. We're going to make the, the worst of a worse situation. And we need outside help and intervention. And when you destroy the whole notion of the first atom, you destroy the whole notion of a second atom. And that's where it leaves you. Okay. So that's why it's important, <laughs> uh, Dr. Peterson. And that's why we fundamentalists, quote unquote. And I guess you probably put me in that camp because I would say that the earth, uh, that that the that the material uh part of this is is true uh that the science is, is there although it's communicated in a very basic way but it's also very it's not just uh, it, this this dichotomy between the material and the spiritual um just cannot exist and for 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 me to maintain uh what i think is is the main point of holy scripture okay that's why it's important i know
1: you said all this thing about sort of good that the, one of the is it one of the essential themes ideas about the christ myth being no. you know sort of- burn away all that cannot be reborn. But bloody hell, mate, in the actual language, all he bangs on about is kindness, kindness, love,
4: love, kindness, Mm. kindness, love, love. Not in Revelation. Hmm? Not in Revelation. He's a judge in Revelation.
1: What, and you're still taking that as what? Books beyond the Gospels, you're still taking
4: as the word of Christ? Well, I'm taking them as part of the entire corpus of the story. Hmm. I mean, the reason that Jung thought Revelation was appended to the Bible was because the Christ in the Gospels was erred too, too much in a sense on the side of mercy and not enough on the side of judgment because here's the here's is there's important. a technical there's a technical reason though it's like
1: we don't want a judgment oh Jesus well you don't have
0: now this is a really fascinating part of the interview here I think and if you want to go check it out it's Russell Brand under the skin with Jordan Peterson this is amazing because what these two men are hovering around is law and gospel you've got Brand who wants gospel and you've got Peterson who is, who is uh, driving at the law here now in the strictest sense of the uh, of of everything here, uh, they're both wrong, because Revelation has a lot of law. That's true. But there's also gospel. I read Revelation seven the the you know, uh, the ones that are brought out of the great tribulation by the blood of the Lamb. That's a beautiful a beautiful gospel passage. Um, if you look at uh, the Gospels, Saint Matthew's Gospel is largely law. Uh, there's gospel there as well. Uh, but for the most part if you if you read that there's a lot of the quote judgmental jesus that 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 brand is is a little bit afraid of um and so that's the idea that's why we need the gospel. we need outside intervention from god to save us that 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 idea of extra nos is so important to understand holy scripture and this is this is what my tradition teaches Uh, it's my tradition now but for many years it wasn't i was groping around just like both of these men looking for this concept of law and gospel and and i think that's exactly what they're looking for and it's it's pretty fascinating so again we get this idea this paradox that you remember peterson brought up before that When we are freed from trying to have to save ourselves, bring about our utopia, bring about our own best life now, right? Um, Then this actually frees us to live a good life, and this is foundational, And, and I can't quite explain that myself. I don't understand why the pressure of not having to pull this off on your own actually frees you to do it. I can't really explain that, but that's how it seems to be presented in Holy Scripture. And so you can't have all law; you can't have all gospel. You need both. You need outside intervention from God. You need God's voice of authority to come in and say, "This is how things are." See. And so um, it's very, very fascinating, though, that, that they're talking about this and talking in these terms and, and trying to, I think, as best they can, di- grapple with the text in, in, in a uh, as it stands. They're trying to take the text seriously. Um, unfortunately, a few things are getting in the way for Peterson. His idea of, of Jung and his Gnosticism. And if you don't think Jung was a Gnostic, I, could, I got a book for you. It's called The Gnostic Jung <laughs> that, uh, that I really uh, used to enjoy when I was back at Claremont. But, it, but at any rate, it's pretty fascinating stuff that they're covering here.
4: It's really complicated because you have the prophetic tradition in Judaism, and the prophets are also <laughs> symbols of people who emerge from the pathological group, who step forward courageously, and who... Reconstitute the group. Yeah.
3: And so so you, you believe these people could exist right now, which which people? The, the prophets.
4: I think prophets of sorts uh, uh, o- exist always. Yeah. I think Dostoevsky was a prophet. Nietzsche was clearly a prophet. I mean, he predicted what was going to happen yeah. in the 20th century. Yeah. Can you imagine predicting much? Well, because was I think happening? when people, I, I, well, the for reason century, I
3: asked it like that was because I think when people when you say prophets, I think people think of like someone coming down from heaven and they're going right. to have a halo on or so, mm. you know, some crazy Basically. thing. But, but you think that th- that's what I was trying to get to the realism. I actually
2: fully agree with this. In fact, so does Maimonides. I mean, Maimonides has an entire section in Guide for the Perplexed about prophecy, and what he says is there's Moses level prophecy which is the the legislating prophet which is and he says he's the only legislating prophet in, in the jewish view but all the other prophets are just people who see things incredibly clearly essentially yeah. they're people who've studied philosophy and who have studied human morality mm-hmm. and have studied the human being and then that's and they're what, way down on the iceberg that's right that's if, the thing that makes them different exactly and and so in that sense people who predicting the the thing about you know providing a certain level of stability for folks and we're not okay so see this is what just
0: frustrates me to death about shapiro because again I am 99% sure. Ben, is there a God? Ben, do we have God's voice? If so, where is it located? Okay, the Old Testament. Thank you. The prophets are not just people who are in touch with how humanity works. The prophets... (laughs) Okay, so let me give this to you real quick. I want to make sure I get this exactly right, so let me dig it out. Here we go. If you're going to talk about Christianity, you ought got to talk one of, about one of our basic creeds. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. God spoke by the prophets. Now, that would be another question I might ask Shapiro. Ben, did God speak by the prophets? These weren't just wise men who really got things. They weren't a Dost- Dostoevsky, they weren't Scholzyniskin, they weren't um, Nietzsche, they weren't any philosopher. These were men through whom God spoke. Do we have God's voice? That's what's frustrating, you know. And and the bottom line for me in all of this is that these guys decry postmodernism, they decry leftism in a lot of ways. And they are using the exact same tactics that postmodernism uses to to crumble and crush and chop the edges off of religion. We need God's voice, gentlemen. Do we have it? Do we have that authority? Because the postmodernists talk just like you guys do about holy scripture. I went to the Claremont School of Theology. This is how they talked about it. And, and we need some definition here. Now, again, I am thrilled that they're talking about this. And maybe the the, the time will come when they'll kind of come around to this. And they'll start talking about it in more definitive terms. And I, I would just... I would so love to sit down with Shapiro. <laughs> like I actually would get that chance. And just ask him these questions. And just say, what do you think about this, man? And and why aren't you... And, 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 get, and I... Okay, again, I can almost guarantee his answers. But... I'm not sure he'd want to go public with it. I'm just not sure he's he's in that place yet, and that's fine. I I think maybe I mean he's I'm certain he's smarter than I am, so maybe he's he's biding his time. He's strategizing and just kind of kind of working with people where they are, and that's fine. Okay, but um, uh, but but at the same time, it's a little bit deceptive. You know, some of this needs to come a little bit cleaner. It's frustrating. It is frustrating. You want, I mean, you see him talking about this. stuff, I and mean, you just want Peterson or Shapiro or even, like even Brand when he was talking about, you know, Jesus as judge versus the compassionate Jesus, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's hitting on something so profound there. And you just wish they would get it. You just wish they would get it. But um, we do not by our own reason or strength come to God or believe in him, right? This is what the third article teaches us. Okay, I want to get a little bit more in here at the end of the Russell Brand thing. I think we've got some really important stuff in, in these interviews and, and I've just kind of, I'm venting. I'm totally venting here. I'm not doing probably as a careful analysis as maybe I'd even like to. Um, but just kind of venting my frustration with just some very basic stuff that I wish they would come out with authority. Do we have God's voice? Does God exist even? Okay. So um, let's, let's end off with, with the, uh, the the Russell Brand Jordan Peterson interview with with another really interesting piece
4: was appended to the Bible was because the Christ in the Gospels was aired too too much in a sense on the side of mercy and not enough on the side of judgment because here's, here's the here's sentiment why. Is important. there's a technical there's a technical reason though it's like we don't want a judgmental oh Jesus <laughs> well you don't have a choice because if you have an ideal it's a judge like you have an ideal you, and there might be an ideal that you have a view. It's simultaneously your judge because you fall short of it.
1: I understand this because, uh, funny enough, I was talking to the fellow that taught me meditation yesterday, Bob Roth. So he's a student of the Maharishi, you know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. He said that when, when Maharishi was asked, what is the one principle, the one principle, he didn't say kindness or compassion mm-hmm. or anything like that. He said discernment. Right. And discernment, you know, which path are we going to follow? That's Where is straight. the attention going? Yeah.
4: But, That's judgment. That's I, why in Revelation, Christ d- divides mm, the mm. damned from the saved. And most are damned. It's discernment. And and what? Oh,
0: in, and by the way, that's in Matthew. He he, he doesn't do that in Revelation. He, he does that in the book of Matthew. That's in the Gospels. Okay, just a minor point there. What that means
4: in some sense is that there's a thousand, there's a hundred thousand ways to do things wrong and only one way to do them right, or maybe only five ways of doing them right. But you know that in your own life, is that the, the, the there's an infinite number of snares that you can tangle yourself up in. And to find that pathway where everything is balanced, that's very, that requires continual
0: discernment and attention. It's- okay, and so I think that's right. And, and, and one thing we, you know, we're in layman's terms, you know, discernment, apologetics, philosophy, religion. This is what we do here. We need the Lord's help. I need the Lord's help to, to discern these things. And I think Peterson is absolutely right. Here's the thing I would challenge him with. I've challenged Shapiro with many things. It, I, Shapiro's easy, I think, compared to, 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 to Peterson. And that's not to take anything away from Shapiro. Because I think Shapiro's struggling with some of these things. But here's what I would ask ask Peterson. Okay, you've given us an interpretation of Holy Scripture that's this. Are you convinced that's the right one? Are you convinced... Because otherwise, you're, you're just turning this into a, a bunch of postmodern gobbledygook that has an infinite number of interpretations, and whoever can take it however they want, whether it's Jung or Freud or you or Russell Brand or Dave Rubin. They can take it any way they want to and take it any direction they want to. I mean, look at Russell Brand. He thinks all the Gospels is about all, all of it. He ignores all of the judgmental parts, and he focuses on Christ, you know he he ignores the law, and focuses on the gospel. Which I I get that I get that I understand that I love the gospel and I love the gospel parts. I mean my, my probably my favorite passage in all of holy scripture is Luke seven, the woman of the city, and, I, and I've got that on my email tag. You know you, you see this woman, her sins which are many are forgiven. I you know, I, I, I love that, and that and that's you know Saint Luke's gospel is so beautiful to me, but. But Christ is also judgmental. He, he, judgmental is not the right word. He is, he is judge. You can either have him as judge or brother, as we said before. And the point being that unless you're going to turn holy scripture into a bunch of postmodern gobbledygook that really doesn't, you know, can only only means to you what it means to you, then it has to have a proper interpretation. And we say that it only has one interpretation. St. Paul means something when he writes it. Same thing with all the gospel writers. St. Peter, St. John, the writer of Hebrews, Jude, all the Revelation writers, all the uh, New Testament writers, all the Old Testament writers. God breathed through them and wrote Holy Scripture. carrying that weight of authority and those words mean one thing the author had a meaning behind those and just like Peterson is so wont to point out there's an infinite number of interpretations but there's only one that will get you to the truth and that's what I would like to see uh, Jordan Peterson address is, okay, you've put forth an interpretation of Holy Scripture that's a very Jungian, and I used to be into this. I used to read Jung and, and the Gnostic Christianity. I mean, I had these, you know, I got these books handed to me when I was out of Claremont, and I loved them. I thought they were great. I thought they were, you know, really profound. And I thought they might be the proper interpretation of Holy Scripture. Um, come to find out, I don't think so anymore. So, that's the question. Does Young or whoever he's ascribing the proper interpretation of Holy Scripture is, is psychologizing Holy Scripture merely as a as a myth. The proper interpretation, or is there something more there? Chock full here this week, folks. Interesting stuff. So happy, so happy that people are so happy that people are talking about morality, how to live right. I mean, that's that's a step in the right direction, isn't it? refreshing At any rate gotta go for this week three things Ken U L Project KNNA Pirate Christian Radio check it all out on the website laymanstermsradio.org we'll see you next week
4: hey preacher, hey, preacher man